Hagen tonight, joined by Andy Singer. Hey, EJ. How we doing? Andy, happy holidays. It's our last pre-Christmas episode of the show, and uh, and I'm excited because there's there's a little bit of news to talk about. The the great the grapevine of of MLB trade rumors has given us a little tidbit of uh, of Yankees news to discuss, and we're going to discuss that. Uh, we're going to discuss first off some interesting news on Jameson Tyone. So we have an update on his rehab. So if you remember, he went down late in September with a fairly serious ankle injury. He actually pitched on that ankle for one start, um, uh, but he had a torn longest tendon in his right ankle, uh, which is a, quote, rare injury for pitchers, uh, according to Tyone in, in an article uh, uh, from The Athletics, Lindsay Adler. Um, he says, quote, we have a rough timeline of when I can start playing catch, which would be sometime in mid to late January. But even the doctor was kind of like, you guys are the pitching experts. A typical offseason throwing progression would be six to eight weeks of playing catch and then four weeks of bullpens. So basically, everything I'm doing is kind of a month behind, but I'm not really sure where that will leave us at the end. So that suggests that that he's about a month behind. Uh, he probably will be ready at the end of April. Is that your interpretation of this? Is this good news? Is this bad news? How, how do you think about Tyone next season? Well, I think this is pretty much the best case scenario. So I think one of the things that I've found really interesting about the whole uh, Jamison Tyone hurts his ankle and needs surgery on it, we never really found out specifics. We never knew what tendon was damaged. All we knew is that Tyone would probably be ready sometime in the beginning of the year because I know there was some fear among Yankee fans, just because the Yankees have been so nonspecific about all of this, there was some concern that there was Achilles involvement as part of his ankle injury, which obviously would have knocked him out for a large portion of much larger portion of next season than just, you know, maybe a month. So I think this is great news. I also, for those of you who haven't read uh, Tyone's interview with Lindsay Adler, it's worth it. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. I mean, Jamison Tyone, un. Uh, just totally unencumbered by Yankee PR staff was pr a pretty interesting interview, I have to say. So I, I love the fact that he now talks about the fact that because they fused two tendons together, he's got a super tendon, which, as Javis and Tyone said, is, pr quote, pretty badass. <laughs> so yeah, he's an interesting guy. I think he's a really good pitcher, more importantly, and I think he's got a still has a lot of upside as he learns to pitch with some new stuff and with some new pitching strategies and I think we saw what Tyone is at his absolute best and that's a pretty good starter I would expect more from him next year maybe some more consistency he said as much that you know this was the most inconsistently he's ever pitched in the big leagues he felt like and if that's what he looks like as an inconsistent pitcher then the Yankees should be pretty happy with the pickup so the fact that they are going to have him for all but a month next year First of all, that tracks with the timeline that he threw out there. So if that's for real and he's back by, let's say, early to mid-May, I'd say that's a pretty great turnout for the Yankees. And you get some off days in April, so you don't have to use five starters the full time. Yeah, I think they can now rely on him as a member of their starting rotation for the most part. Um, if you look at a, I, I was looking at a, a, an anatomy chart of the longest tendon. It's the tendon that runs over your foot from your big toe, kind of across your foot towards your ankle. Um, it doesn't seem like something that is all that serious for a pitcher. The fact that he pitched on it one start, you know, with it with a tear, I think is is telling. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely something. So I have a little bit of experience with this. I had some non-specified damage to that exact part of my foot while I was pitching with it. So 
you could pitch with it, but it was incredibly painful, and there are times where it makes it actually... Mine was on my landing foot, so it actually kind of made it really hard to finish my delivery. So that, just a little fun fact is some, when I read what the tendon was, I was like, oh, I know what that tendon is, and here's why. <laughs> um, so I, having pitched with it, I'm actually reasonably impressed that Jameson Tyone was able to pitch at a major league level with that kind of pain. So, and it's on his right his right ankle, so it's not it's on his push off foot, which helps. Yeah, that definitely helps. I know that with it on my landing foot, I I don't know that I'd do that again. Um, with the push off foot, there are ways that you can kind of compensate, but even still, no, Jamison Tyone really wasn't at his best in September, but he was able to throw innings, and I think that's huge. And it sounds like he's going to be healthy enough to throw innings next year. And I think there's even a silver lining here. He's a guy who's dealt with a lot of arm injuries in his career, so getting a little bit of extra time to rest the arm in the offseason probably isn't the worst thing in the world. And there's the interesting wrinkle of the lockout here, where normally he would be working with the team trainers all the time, and, and they would be the ones kind of in charge of his lockout, but because, uh, because uh, in charge of his ankle, but because of the major league lockout, uh, he is not in contact with the team personnel. Apparently, they wrote him a fairly detailed plan right before the lockout, as you'd expect. And I, I forget where the quote is in here. I can't find it. But he says something along the lines of he is very familiar with uh, with rehab. And so he can figure it out himself, he thinks, um, which is just a great Jamison Tyone uh, uh, note there. Um, I, 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 to me, I, it seems like this is mostly good news. You, know, you would hope that um, uh, that he'd be ready for for. for for May and the Yankees could essentially, you know, assume one of their their rotation spots is uh, is taken. Uh, let's move on to some other signings. So there's two minor league signings to talk about. So one is Jimmy Cordero, uh, Cordero who is a 30 uh, year old relief pitcher who was coming off of Tommy John surgery. I think he was pretty highly considered for a little bit, kind of before that Tommy John surgery. Uh, but we don't really kind of know what, uh, what what to expect there. He had the Tommy John surgery in early to mid twenty or, or in mid twenty twenty, which was really late twenty twenty. So it was a uh, um, so he's he's coming off of that. He won't be ready for spring training, but he's a guy we could see in the late innings. Is there anything you got to say about Jimmy Cord- uh, Cordero before we talk about uh, the, the real signing? I mean, it's a it's a nice low risk signing. Uh, I think he he's a guy who could potentially pitch in the bullpen in 2022 if he if his arm comes all the way back but until we have any indication of what his stuff looks like following Tommy John surgery I I, I don't think it's worth speaking too much about Cordero or counting on him in any way and I, I think this is actually one spot where the lockout helps the Yankees a little bit he's he's on a minor league deal so he doesn't take up a 40-man spot during this time Cordero Cordero seems to me like a guy who would have gotten um you know a major league minimum deal for the second year of his rehab um, and would have you know, gone on the 60-day DL to start the season. Um, the, instead of that, he's on a minor league deal and uh, he will, uh, won't take up any roster spots until, until that point. Um, let's move on and talk about uh, the signing that you're, you see much higher on than I am. Uh, the Yankees have signed Ender Inciarte to a minor league deal. Yeah. Uh, can you tell the people who Ender, who Ender Inciarte is and why you're excited about him? Well, so first of all, many of you will probably remember Ender Inciarte from the trade that sent Shelby Miller to the Diamondbacks a bunch of years ago. And Best player in that trade? Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, Ender, Ender Inciarte actually wound up being a really good player for the Braves for a few years there. Uh, an excellent defender, roughly league, league average with the bat. 
as a slap uh, line drives around the shallow outfield type of guy while playing phenomenal defense in center field. I mean, truly one of the best defensive center fielders in all of baseball. But uh, since 2019, 2020, and 2021 in particular have not been kind to Ender Enciarte. He's been banged up, and in addition to that, he's uh, just really struggled even when he's been on the field offensively. Probably some of that has the injuries certainly contribute there, but it's it's hard to tell which came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, but I think this is more interesting than it initially uh, seems. Ender Enciarte is kind of the opposite of the type of player the Yankees typically covet. He makes gobs of contact, making contact on swings on pitches inside the strike zone well above uh, league average for his career. I think he's at about 88% uh, zone contact rate per stat cast for his career versus an 82% league average mark. Uh, And despite that, his average and peak exit velocities are well below average, so he's not that the launch angle exit velocity monster that the Yankees typically look for. However, his average launch angles do give him the best chance for success with modest um, exit velocity numbers. He's a line drive type hitter, and you see that in the numbers. His his, uh, launch angles are typically between 8 and 10 degrees launch, which is right where you want to be. So he slaps liners all over the field at his best. He until this year, he had always struck out at a rate well below the league average while walking at roughly a league average rate. So at his best, he's a contact-oriented bat who's, who's league average, and you can still squint and see that guy if he's healthy enough uh, to rebound. But the big deal here is defense is where Enciarte makes his money. He's always been a defensive standout in center field, and the limited numbers that we have on his performance over the last couple of injury-plagued seasons indicate that he's still probably above average out there. The one thing that I would note is that his sprint speed, as measured by StatCast, has dropped precipitously since his prime, so whereas he was an above-average runner uh, going back to about 2018, he's now solidly middle of the pack, maybe slightly beneath that. he I believe last year he was in the 45th percentile via stat cast, but his range still plays above average because he gets really good jumps on balls in play. I'm not necessarily saying that Ender Enciarte is going to start in center field for the Yankees at the outset of next year, but I think he's a nice fallback option should he be healthy and should the Yankees have trouble in center field again. So you see him as the AAA center fielder? Yeah, I do. I think, and I think he's he probably makes the Yankees more comfortable than someone like Greg Allen did, even if I think Greg Allen had some upside that the Yankees didn't utilize. I mean, that's my problem with this, is that I feel like I feel like Greg Allen specifically is just much, much better than Ender and Ciarte. Um, he's a 40-man roster spot. That, that's a problem, and Ender and Ciarte is on a minor league deal. Besides that, I, I don't really see the upside here. And that's just it. I think a lot of it has to do with the roster manipulation that was needed for the offseason. I think the Yankees saw uh, an opportunity to gain some space on the 40-man roster, knowing that once the CBA was settled, they were going to make some moves. And I think Ender Inciarte allows them to get something approximating the value that they thought they had in Greg Allen, but not use a 40-man roster spot. Because I think they recognized that somebody was going to use a 40-man roster spot on Greg Allen. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we don't really disagree that much. I thought you were going to be like, you should be on the bench at the beginning of the year. Um, <laughs> well, I, look, well, I, let me I put think... it to you this way. If he's if he's healthy, and let's so let's talk about this scenario. He's not that old. He's 30. I believe he's 31 uh, coming into this year. Maybe it's his age 31 or age 32 season. I forget which. But uh, he's at, in his age 31 or 32 season. If his sprint, I believe he had some lower body injuries including to his ankle so that very easily could have been impacting his sprint speed so if he comes back in and he's more an above average runner and he's the defender that we that he always had been previously where he's somewhere between above average and otherworldly then yeah you know what he's probably an upgrade over brett gardner from a total value perspective i I mean i there's a lot of ifs in there um, the way here's where I see Ender Inciarte. He's one of the worst hitters in the league by Xwoba, um, and has been for three years. He has below average sprint speed. He, you know, he is he just doesn't to me. He, he doesn't have. I, I don't see the world. I, I think it's more likely that he's just a young man's player. And he, when he had his young guy skills, he was still really good, but he didn't age as well as someone like Brett Gardner aged. Um. And, and you know, I, I just I, if you look if you tell me he's the fourth string center fielder, like fine, right? If, if we're getting to the fourth string center fielder, we have problems. Uh, but he's not faster than Aaron Hicks, and we think Aaron Hicks's problem right now is that he's fast. And he's never Aaron Hicks has never been a bad route kind of guy. Um, he doesn't have the upside of Aaron Hicks. Um, you know, I, I just I, I'm I'm very skeptical that he'll he'll be a positive player in the Yankees. Like I, I'd rather even take a shot at Estevan Florial than Ender Inciarte. See, that's really interesting to me. I, I think that Estevan Florial has tools you can dream on, but I just think he missed so much development time. I, I don't think he ever has a shot at even a below average pitch recognition, which is going to hurt his ability to ever make contact at the big league level, which means he's not going to tap into his plus power. So I, I have. Oh, I, 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 I'm not betting on it. I'm just saying you know, that's how bad I think Inciarte is. I think the Yankees, yeah. if they're going to compete, need a, a guy or two around on the depth chart, even if it's on the back end of the depth chart, that have some form of reasonable floor in terms of performance. And I think NCRT at least has that when you look at his defensive profile. All right, let's move on and discuss the interesting rumors. So we have some reports from Joel Sherman of the New York Post that before, right before the lockout began, the Yankees and Milwaukee Brewers were discussing uh, we're discussing Luke Voigt, that they might end up trading Luke Voigt to the Milwaukee Brewers. It's interesting for a lot of reasons. Again, we're expecting the National League to have a DH next year, uh, and uh, the Brewers employed uh, a guy very much like Luke Voigt uh, for a long time, and his name is escaping me right, me right now. Former Seattle, Daniel Vogelback. So they had they had Daniel Vogelback, a very Luke Voigt-type player, except Luke Voigt ended up being a really good Major League player, and Vogelback didn't. Uh, and so I think this is interesting. So let me ask you, let's say there was a trade going down between the Yankees and the Brewers. Uh, if you're the Yankees, what would you ask for, for Luke Voigt? Well, uh, here's where it gets really, really interesting. So I think that Luke Voigt is still relatively cheap. So first baseman don't carry a ton of value, but most first basemen don't have the offensive upside that Luke Voigt does. The downside there is he's rarely healthy, and this year his health impacted his ability to hit, and he was merely slightly above average as opposed to an MVP candidate at the plate this year. So when you look at it from that perspective, Luke Voigt is a really risky play. 
However, a team like the Brewers constantly cries poverty. So you can foresee a situation where the Brewers could improve at first base and try to unload some salary, even if it means that player is a productive player still. When you look at the Yankee roster, they have problems up the middle. If I'm the Yankees, I might see if the Brewers are willing to unload some salary and give up a guy like Lorenzo Cain. So Kane is a guy that still plays really good defense in center field. He hits pretty well. He's been in the playoffs before. He's an established veteran who probably would fit into the clubhouse pretty easily. I think he's a guy that probably adds something in a platoon role with Aaron Hicks and gives you insurance against another Aaron Hicks injury. And all it is, is all it costs you is money and Luke Voigt. I think Kane is an interesting name. The Yankees would probably have to add a add a mid-level prospect to Voigt to pry Kane from the Brewers, but I think something like that could be an interesting return. I mean, I actually, I'm not sure how much they'd have to add. They, they seem pretty similar in terms of value. Kane is still fast. He's 35 years old, but he still grades pretty well in terms of something like sprint speed. Uh, his fielding numbers weren't great last year, but that also could be um, just kind of a luck thing. If you look at his, his numbers previously, he was still just as fast. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, he was one of the best defensive players in the league. And so I think you could expect that to rebound. And, and it really just depends on what, what defensive metrics you're looking at. Um, Fangraphs actually has him as a pretty solid defensive player, while um, uh, uh, Baseball Savant has him at uh, slightly below average. Um, so I, I think he's a really interesting player. I mean, if, if you were, to, if I told you that, that Lorenzo Cain was going to be the starting center fielder for the Yankees next year with Aaron Hicks as a, as a backup who plays fairly frequently. How would you feel about that? I don't hate it. I, I think that Lorenzo Cain, you have to understand and reasonably set expectations. I, I don't think Lorenzo Cain is going to turn back the clock and put up a, say, a 770 OPS while playing, uh, being worth, a win on defense alone. That's not who he is. But I think he's going to give you very professional at-bats. I think he's going to give you good defense. I think he's going to add some speed to the base paths. He's also somebody who's always been pretty good at taking an extra base just on standard hits while he's on base. So I think he's a good base runner. There, There's a lot that he adds to the game. He doesn't strike out a ton. Uh, there's a lot there to like, so if you are have him splitting time with Aaron Hicks, I, I think you've you've upgraded center field and your bench all in one shot. I still like Luke Voigt. I don't know that I want Luke Voigt as my everyday first baseman, which is why I'm willing to see Luke Voigt go. But I think you could do worse as a return than someone like Lorenzo Cain. All right, let's talk about other players on the Brewers. Uh, so there's a couple of players here that I think are just kind of crazy talk picks. I mean, we could talk about Christian Yelich as a salary dump for the Brewers. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that might be a mistake for the Yankees. But if the Yankees, if, if, if you know, we knew that the luxury tax was going to go up a bunch and the Yankees said, you know something, we're going to trade for Christian Yelich. How, how would you feel about that? That's a tough one. Uh, I think that Yelich had a really tough season in 2021 and it was surrounded by a bunch of injuries. He just didn't make... The one thing that Christian Yelich has always done is make contact, and he pretty much stopped doing that last year. In addition to that, he also didn't... The power just sort of disappeared. So I'm really beginning to wonder how much impact the gopher ball made on who Christian Yelich was. Add in the fact that Christian Yelich is already 30 years old. It seems like yesterday that he was 23, but he is 30. 
so I see him as a guy on the downside. Maybe you get a dead cat, you know, that back end of the prime dead cat bounce for one or two more years. But I don't know that I want to give up huge prospect capital to get Christian Yelich, and I think that's what the Brewers would ask for, even so in a salary I, dump. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm a little more skeptical of the of the of the asking price. I mean, he's being paid a lot of money. For a team like the Brewers, the actual amount of money matters, right? They're 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 constrained by the resources that they have, or at least they say they have. Um, for the Yankees, he has a, t- a pretty reasonable twenty four million dollar average annual average annual value. Um, so I could see like some kind of deal where if the Yankees, you know, if the Yankees really thought they could fix Christian Yelich, get him back to kind of his MVP form. Remember, this is a guy who you know, was a, a chronic underachiever uh, before he was traded in Milwaukee. Um, if if they think they could do that, he's he's an interesting player just because he's a le- you know he's he's left handed batter, um, he's an outfielder, he's not really a center fielder, but you know he's he's a um, he's he's a guy who you could imagine I think on the Yankees um, if their roster was constructed a little bit differently. Um, I don't think it's going to happen again. I think it's a crazy talk idea, but um, just just something I want to keep an eye on. I can um, I can feel uh, some of our readers over at Start Spreading the News getting ready to throw something at me. But if you were to compare Christian Yelich to Joey Gallo, blind since the beginning, oh, Gallo is much much better. Yeah. Gallo is a better baseball player in his in his last seven hundred twenty two at bats. Christian Yelich has hit two thirty four with a less than one sixty ISO, and his OPS plus is one oh three. He's a decent defender, but not much better than that. And again, he's. Going into his age thirty season, I have very real concerns that Christian Yelich is better than what the Yankees have currently in the outfield. All right, let's move on and uh, talk about our subject for today, which is the bench. We've talked about shortstop, we've talked about first base, we've talked about starting pitching, um, but I actually think the Yankees have as much work to do in all of those this year on the bench. Um, right now, if the season started today. The bench is projected to be Kyle Higashioka as a backup catcher, Miguel Andujar, Jose Peraza, who's on a minor league deal, and Estevan Florial. Um, that's not great. Uh, so <laughs> let me let me ask you real quick. So if the Yankees did nothing and their bench was that, or you know, they they sign a center fielder and Aaron Hicks ends up on the bench and pushes out someone like Andujar or Esteban Florial. Or you know, you know, Gio Urshela gets pushed to the bench. What, whatever. If it's the current roster plus whatever free agents they sign to fill their their open positions, how, how are you feeling about this bench? So that uh, again, I think that's the real key. It's who else comes to the cur- is added to the current roster. Because I'll tell you what, I think Aaron Hicks might be one of the best fourth outfielders in all of baseball if he's able to take a minute, catch his breath. Uh, hit against favorable matchups guys who have big fastballs and without a ton of breaking stuff uh is allowed to just use his defensive prowess at multiple spots throughout the outfield that's a huge upgrade as your fourth outfielder because aaron hicks healthy is a better ball player than brett gardner right now versus what they had last season and i think he projects to be significantly better than esteban florial florial should not touch the major league roster for the first half of next year they need to finally watch him get consistent at bats every single day at AAA for an extended period of time and figure out if he's ever going to hit. Because I think that next year is the make or break year for Florial at AAA, period. And I think we'll know what he is after that. So I don't want to see him on the big league roster. I love uh, Miguel Andujar. I've always been a big Andujar fan. 
as of right now, I don't. I think you need to find a way to improve on Miguel Andahar as somebody who, with offensive skills, who can play multiple spots around the diamond. So they need to fulfill that role somehow. Maybe one of the kids can do it partway through the year, but you need somebody who can do it to start the year. Maybe they sign a shortstop and that and that pushes Gio Urshela or. Uh, DJ LeMahieu into the super utility role, and I think that's kind of the ideal. To me, the ideal situation is to fi- sign a shortstop that is a three to five win shortstop, and you can put it in the bank for next year. And DJ LeMahieu can give a lot of guys some breathers, get 450 to 550 at bats, and play multiple positions. That's where his value lies. That was the original intention when the Yankees signed him. And if he's not the big-time power threat that he was all of a sudden during the gopher ball, then I think that's really where DJ LeMahieu is used best. So all of a sudden, if you're looking at a bench that has one of, say, Gio Urshela and DJ LeMahieu, one of those two, plus um, Aaron Hicks, and then maybe a couple of the young guys at while you look for an upgrade to Kyle Higashioka... I think that's a pretty darn good bench. How do you feel about Jose Peraza? I like Jose Peraza a lot as a prospect, and I don't want to see him as a utility infielder to begin the year. I think he's somebody who deserves to force his way onto the roster at AAA. I feel the same way about another prospect who I also think is going to be a better major leaguer than I think uh, Yankee fans are giving him credit for right now, uh, Oswaldo Cabrera. I think he's a guy who could very well wind up as a super utility type guy when he gets to the major leagues, given the fact that he can passably play second base, third base, and even shortstop. So I think he's a guy who might very well be more capable of fulfilling that role for the Yankees next year than either Peraza or Volpe, who, you know, have a lot more acclaim right now. But I think he's a guy who might be very valuable in the second half of next year, again, as a guy who should go to AAA at first to force his way up to the majors. But I like both of those guys. I'm not upset if they force their way up in part-time roles next season. But I do think the Yankees should plan to have both of those guys at AAA next year. And it looks like they're set to have you know Cabrera as their AAA second baseman, Peraza as their uh, Oswaldo Peraza as their AAA um, uh, shortstop. I I'm just like looking at the tea leaves here, and I think there's a really strong chance that Jose Peraza is on the major league roster to start the season. There's no one else to play shortstop other than those two guys we just mentioned who. Neither of which have a lot of AAA experience and probably need just need that time and and would be better served with that time. No one else is on this roster. That's it. I mean, unless they go out and they sign uh, some some uh, you know a bench shortstop, and we're going to talk about some of them. I think there's a good chance that he's there, and I think he's you know he's basically Tyler Wade. There's not that much you know daylight between the two of them. He's got a little bit more experience. He's um, a guy who would had a 266 x wobo last year. That's probably about what you can expect out of him. But grades out fine defensively, has experience playing a lot of positions. Um, if the Yankees were to upgrade their bench in a way that, uh, similar to the way that you talked about before, where you just start pushing some of these major league starters to bench roles, I'm fine with it. If he's the backup shortstop, I'm not crazy about it. I, I, I would hope that you could maybe you know push, um, you could push one of the 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 AAA guys to the majors you know midseason. Uh, but you know, as as far as as far as somebody to occupy that role, Jose Peraza, in my opinion, is just fine. Yeah, um, and I I just realized that I I did it again. I mixed up the Perazas. So there's too many. Jose, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said Jose Peraza, and I went on about Oswald. Uh, 
Peraza. But uh, I pretty much agree with you there on Jose Peraza. And when you start looking at the free agent market for guys who could legitimately play shortstop for an extended period if they needed to, I think Jonathan VR is the only guy out there. And he's a he'd be a good bench player. But I have a hunch that somebody's going to give him some second division team's going to give him a job as a regular next year. So I I don't know that the Yankees are going to be if VR is a realistic solution for the Yankees next year. But he's the only guy that I really see that can legitimately play shortstop. Yeah. So let's start talking about those free agents. So Jonathan VR at shortstop, he's an interesting option. You're right. He's a guy who got 505 plate appearances last year, played full time in 2020, played full time, uh, didn't miss a game in 2019. Um, so he's used to playing full time. It would be it would be a step down for him to play um, play part time. That's it. I think that's exactly the player the Yankees should be spending money on. He's the kind of player that the Dodgers love, that the Rays love, that all of these kind of newfangled teams that really like to load up their bench. They have guys like Jonathan VR, and I would not be shocked to find him signing with one of those teams instead of signing a full a full time deal. Um, the Yankees have tried to cheap out on their bench over the years, and, and that means that they don't have a, a, a guy like VR to step in when Gleyber Torres is having trouble or when, you know, whatever, when, whenever there's an injury. My one concern about him is I'm not so sure he's a great shortstop anymore. Um, he's been playing really all over the diamond lately, a lot of second base, a lot of third base. Um, you know, the last time he played a full-time shortstop was 2016. And so, you know, if you had to kind of press him into service because of an injury to be a full-time major league shortstop, I'm actually not sure Jonathan VR is that guy. But to play kind of that role you're talking about for DJ LeMahieu, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in it. Um, what contract would you give him? Hmm. That's a that's a good question. I, I'm trying to think back to the last time we discussed this and what he what the MLB trade rumors project. It was like was. a two year, twenty million dollar contract or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty much what I said. I think I think ten mil a year is probably about as high as I'm willing to go for Jonathan v, uh, for VR. But uh, I'll be honest with you, I if it were a one year deal and money is not an object and it doesn't impact the Yankees from doing something in the starting lineup. I'd offer him a higher average annual value and said, we're going to give you 300. We can only guarantee you 300 at bats, but we're going to give you a lot of money to do it. I think the Yankees should 100% do that. Give him 13 or $14 million for a single year. All right, let's move on. It. Let's move on. Yeah, before we go to more free agents, um, I want to talk about uh, one player we haven't talked about much, which is Kyle Higashioka. What, what is your opinion of Kyle Higashioka as a backup catcher? So I think he's fine. Uh, but I think the Yankees need to do better than fine because as much as I've been a huge Gary Sanchez guy, they really should be looking to upgrade a catcher in both the starting and the backup spot. I think it's really interesting the way that Gary Sanchez is covered by uh, Gary Sanchez. Kyle Higashioka is covered by the New York media, and I think it's specifically because Kyle Higashioka is consistently compared to the way that Gary Sanchez plays defense. Kyle Higashioka frames decently i think that he in the other defensive aspects of the game he's passable i think he's a very good uh, he blocks the ball very very well that's the one place that i believe that he continually grades out decently he has almost no arm as far as catching standards go we really don't have data on catcher velocity uh stat cast stopped tracking that a year and a half ago publicly 
but what we know is that Kyle Higashioka's arm never really came back after Tommy John surgery in 2014, and he's one of the worst throwing catchers in the major leagues, and we see that uh, on display uh, every time he plays because teams are willing to run on Kyle Higashioka. As much as Gary Sanchez had a poor year uh, defensively and particularly throwing the baseball this year, I still feel much more comfortable if Gary Sanchez has to throw down to second or third than Kyle Higashioka. So I think Kyle Higashioka, for everything he does well, he's got a couple of real negatives in his defensive profile, which is what you're looking for out of a defensive catcher. He has a lot of pop, but he just doesn't make enough contact to get to that pop consistently. So he's a minus offensively. So he's a replacement level player. He's a quad A, maybe slightly better than that, just because of how thin catcher is across baseball right now. So I think the Yankees should be looking to upgrade the at the very least a backup spot. And if there were something available to improve on Gary Sanchez, they should look at that too. So that's where I come down. I think the Yankees need to be looking to improve the catcher spot, but it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I mean, to me, that that's the bottom line. There is that I, I don't know who's better. If you look at the free agent out, the free agent options out there, there's no one who's clearly better than Hikishioka. Um There's a lot of players who are clearly worse. I mean, if you want to compare him to, you know, an analog, look at Austin Romine's career. Hikishioka has been much much better than Romine. If we look about at wins above replacement, Kagashioka was 38th in catcher last year, which is you know essentially means he's one of the better backups in the league. Um, I, I'm just I'm I'm I don't think there's any other options. Are there any other options you think they they should consider? There were guys I thought they should have considered prior to uh, prior to the lockout. Guys who were traded and or signed elsewhere. I think that Jacob Stallings would have been a really interesting guy to pair with Gary Sanchez. Um, there was also the signing with the Tigers, and then as of course as we started talking about it, the name escapes me. Um, had played last season with Cincinnati. And Tucker Davidson. Tucker Barnhart, that's what Barnhart. it was. Barnhart, Barnhart, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah Tucker, Tucker Barnhart was the name. I thought those two would have been really interesting names to pair with Gary Sanchez, uh, take some pressure off of Sanchez defensively, allow Sanchez to split some time and maybe get some DH days to see if the bat comes around and if maybe the competition to push Sanchez pushes him into a different gear. So I, I think those would have been interesting upgrades for the Yankees that would have cost relatively minimal amounts. Um, but beyond that, I'm not seeing a ton out there. On the, there's one big move out there, I think, at catcher, and it just depends on whether the Royals are willing to do it. The Royals signed Salvador Perez to a long-term deal. He just had the best season of his career. His value has never been higher. The smart thing for the Royals to do would be to find a taker for Salvador Perez, a team that was that's close to um, that that's close to a championship. However, they're not going to do that. So they signed Salvador Perez to stay with the Royals. He's a home he's a hometown career. guy basically at this point. Yep. So the big issue is coming up in their mind, their best prospect that's close to the majors is now. A catcher, a guy by the name of Melendez, who projects to have value at the plate and is a very good defender and needs to play with some frequency at the major league level very soon. He's a very good prospect, and it's going to take a real package to get somebody like that. But realistically, with Salvador Perez around, he's not going to get any playing time next year. So I think the Royals are an interesting team to discuss 
when it comes to trading catchers, but I don't know that I see it happening this offseason. Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm I'm on I don't think Salvador Perez is, is going anywhere and, and I don't think they're gonna trade their top prospect. But I do think there's some other trades to think about here. Um one is Sean Murphy from the from the Oakland Athletics. Oakland is rumored to be kind of in fire sale mode after the after the uh, the lockout is over and Sean Murphy is one of the best defensive catchers in the league who you know can hit enough. You know, he's not um, he's not even Gary Sanchez out there, but he's he's certainly not Kyle Higashioka out there. So I think I think he's an interesting option. Um, what, what would you, what do you think about you know if there was say a Matt Olson trade, you know, mega mega blockbuster, and Sean Murphy were thrown in, what would you feel about that? I love that. Uh, if they're actually willing to trade Murphy, I, I think that'd be great. Unfortunately, I think Murphy is still pretty cheap, so he's a guy that I think they're likely to keep around just because he's still got. Uh, I believe he's got three uh, under the current system anyway. He's still got three more seasons of team control. Uh, he's not going to get expensive for another year or two, and he gives them exactly what they need. I mean, he has pop. Uh, he doesn't make any contact, but his walk rates are pretty decent. He's got pop, and he's a really good defensive catcher. So that's the type of guy that when they're cheap, you hold on to him in today's market. But the the Yankees would have to give up more in prospect capital than I think any of us would be comfortable with to get a catcher of that caliber. Um, some other names I think that are interesting out there. Uh, you have uh, Carson Kelly with the Arizona Diamondbacks. You have Wilson Contreras with the Chicago Cubs. Mitch Garver with the Minnesota Twins. Um, lots of guys who I think are better than Gary Sanchez. So let's just say they trade for somebody like that. You know, we don't have to discuss the details. Maybe that's a whole other podcast in, in and of itself. What role do you think Gary Sanchez has on the team if they if they end up essentially finding another another either one A catcher or just a Someone who's just higher in the death charge than him. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's an interesting topic. I think that if so, let's talk about this in tiers. You're not acquiring someone like Wilson Contreras. Whatever the risks are with somebody like that, you at the end of the day, you're acquiring a player like that to get 400 plus at bats in a season and then have a defensive-minded catcher behind them, much as was the intention for, say, Gary Sanchez and Kyle Higashioka. So if you get a player like that, Gary Sanchez immediately becomes expendable and is a uh, he's a superfluous player because you've already acquired someone that is a similar profile to Sanchez but does it a little better right now. So Sanchez becomes superfluous, and the Yankees are looking to dump him in a separate deal. If you're getting someone like who is better defensively but is merely acceptable offensively, I think Gary Sanchez still has a role as a 1A or a 1B to somebody like that. So that that's where I come down. If you acquire a big-time guy like Contreras, you're, you're acquiring that player to be the starting catcher, and Gary Sanchez isn't doesn't profile as a backup. If you're acquiring a defensive-minded catcher with acceptable offense, then I think there's probably still a spot for Sanchez. You know, I, I kind of like the idea, if they were to do this, of Sanchez on the bench, just because, I, first off, I like the idea of the $30 million bench, uh, which is, you know, Aaron, Aaron Hicks plus Gary Sanchez, you know, plus you know, Luke Voigt or something like that. Um, I think that could be a very a very fun bench and, and a bench that, uh, again, looks a lot like a lot of these teams that have kind of reinvented the model for baseball. Um, or at least the way that their rosters are constructed. 
Um, that said, yeah, I, I, I suspect he's traded. If if that happens, that he you end up you end up sending uh, sending Sanchez elsewhere. Um, let's talk about let's talk about another player. Let's say I said that Gio Urshela was going to be your backup infielder next season. Uh, not no Jose Peraza, no Tyler Wade on the roster. Gio Urshela is your primary backup shortstop. You know, third baseman. You know, maybe some second and first. How would you feel about that? I don't hate it, but I hope there's somebody else on the bench that has some speed. I, I think that's been sorely lacking from the from the Yankee roster in recent seasons outside of Tyler Wade. Even Brett Gardner isn't as fast as he used to be. So I'd really like to see somebody with speed on the bench. And Gio Urshela, I think, is going to play really good defense wherever you put him on the diamond, at least relative to his range. So I think that's a positive. I think he's a professional ball player. He's a great clubhouse guy. He's somebody you want to keep around. I think he's going to hit better than most bench players, although you and I have discussed it. I'm not sure I'd buy Gio Urshela as a plus offensive threat. But maybe a plus bench threat, right? Exactly. And I think his bat really plays as plus if he's off the bench. So I don't hate it. I'm fine with having Gio Urshela as a bench bat if there's more speed elsewhere, either in the starting lineup or on the bench. I think it depends on who the shortstop is. If if you sign Carlos Correa or Trevor Story to be your shortstop and, you know, you expect them to basically be in there most of the time, you know, I think it's okay if Joe Urshel is your backup shortstop. Maybe you hope that you can play uh, Gleyber Torres there in a pinch. Um, but Joe Urshel, I think, shown that he is fine as a fake it at shortstop guy. Um, and so if you told me that he is a guy who, who's going to pinch hit a little bit, who's going to play a little bit of third base, who's going to be a, 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 a backup shortstop, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I, I agree with you. I think he's probably not a plus. It, it's unlikely that he'll continue to be a plus offensive player as a starter, although we saw that as recently as 2020, right? So it's, it's a possibility that he bounces back. Uh, but last year he was truly really bad and got worse as the season went on. Um but as a bench player, that that's an asset. You know, if he's an average hitter and he's he, he's hitting off the bench, that that's not bad. Uh, and and I think I think we're we're both okay with that. Um, let's talk about outfield. So let's 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 do the Aaron Hicks. Uh, let's do the the two Aaron Hicks scenarios. One, Aaron Hicks is a bench player. Two, he's not a bench player. He's either your starting center fielder or off the roster. In this scenario where he's a bench player, do the Yankees need another outfielder on the bench? No, I don't think so. If he's your fourth outfielder, if he's a pure fourth outfielder where he's a roving backup, I really don't see the need for another uh, outfielder on the major league roster. Uh, You do need insurance down at AAA, so an Ender Enciarte type or any one of of another utterly replaceable type quad A center fielder down there who can play other outfield spots. But... Uh, I think Aaron Hicks is an ideal fourth outfielder who can play defense all over the outfield with a we what we hope is a decent arm. Uh, now multiple years removed from Tommy John, so he's a switch hitter. There's there's a lot to like about Aaron Hicks as a backup. So I don't think you need another outfielder. I don't think there's room for Brett Gardner, for instance, if Aaron Hicks is your backup outfielder. All right, so now let's remove Aaron Hicks from the equation. Let's say he's traded, he's off the roster, he's injured, he's whatever. And the Yankees signed Brett Gardner to be their fourth outfielder. They, let's say they sign a, they have a there's a, there's a center field solution 
that's out there, right? They've traded for Brian Reynolds. They've done something. How do you feel about Brett Gardner as a fourth outfielder in 2021? I'm only okay with Brett Gardner as a fourth outfielder if he's really the fourth outfielder. We've I feel like we've been through this each of the last two years that where this is the year Brett Gardner really becomes a part-time player. And sure enough, we look up at the end of the season and Brett Gardner got 500-plus at-bats. So I don't want to see that happen again. So it really needs to be an acquisition that is a three-and-a-half-plus win player in center field that pushes Brett Gardner to the bench for the whole year. That's the type of acquisition you need to make in center field to make me okay with a Brett Gardner return. At the end of the day, Brett Gardner has been a great Yankee, and as we've discussed at any number of times, he's been a much better Yankee than I think he gets credit for from a lot of the mainstream media. I love him. I think he's a great personality. I love watching him play. I love watching him beat up dugouts and talk to himself at the plate. It's fun as a fan. I still think the Yankees should be looking for better from their fourth outfield spot, but it's fine if the Yankees acquire a big-time center fielder. I, I've been thinking a lot about this this whole Brett Gardner gets 500 play appearances thing, and my, my, my thought here is like it's not his fault. He has started as the fourth outfielder, and then guys in front of him have gotten hurt. So they lost uh, Aaron Judge for multiple big pieces of multiple seasons. They lost Aaron Hicks for big pieces of multiple seasons. And so Gary and they, and Clint Frazier has you know all of his Clint Frazier problems multiple times. Um, to me, that is that is is why this has occurred. And there's nothing forcing you. There's nothing, there's nothing cosmic about Brett Gardner getting 400-plus plate appearances next year. He doesn't have to do it. Um, the, only, the only thing that's going to kind of force that to happen is our injuries to other players. And so you have to just compare him against other fourth outfielders. Last year, he was a one-win player in 400-something plate appearances. So he was a, uh, a very average defensive player and was a, um, a you know, slightly above average uh, or at least above replacement player um, uh, offensive player. To me, I don't see, other than Aaron Hicks, a lot of great options to get that production at whatever Brett Gardner is going to cost. Um, you know, I would love if the Yankees went out and they got someone like, say, Eddie Rosario to be their, their backup outfielder. Um, even then, Eddie Rosario can't play center field, um, and so you have a backup center fielder problem. But you know, if the Yankees are willing to go and pay $10 million for somebody to be, to be that player, they can find them. I don't know if they can find somebody for $4 million to be a one plus win player if, if forced to to get playing time. Um, I think the bigger question is, is does Brett Gardner have anything left in the tank? I feel like he does. Yeah, I mean, he played a lot better as the season went on, particularly at the plate. I mean, I, I remember once again, we said that, you know, he looks done in August and all of a sudden he said, nope, still here. And he was probably one of the better performing outfielders in August and September for the team last season. So, you know, when you put it the way that you framed it just a second ago, when you compare him to other fourth outfielders around the league, yeah, I agree with you. I think he's a decent fourth outfielder. He can still play center field, and that has huge value. And I do prefer Brett Gardner to somebody like Eddie Rosario. I don't think Rosario's profile... Re it's a good fourth outfielder. It's a left-handed power bat. Those are things that you love at Yankee Stadium. 
I don't like the strikeouts, and I do think the Yankees need to get more versatile in terms of the type of player that they're looking for to fill out the rest of the roster. But I think you're right. It really isn't fair to Brett Gardner that we blame him for the fact that he gets a ton of at-bats. I just think that the Yankees needed to be more realistic about the injury profiles that they had in their outfield, knowing that Brett Gardner was likely to wind up playing more. So if Brett Gardner... To sum it up, if Brett Gardner is your fourth outfielder next year, I do think there's room for another outfielder on the bench just to guard against a late 30s Brett Gardner getting too much playing time. All right, so let me frame this discussion around would you rather have Brett Gardner or this guy? Would you rather have Brett Gardner or Eddie Rosario? The answer is is Gardner. Um, Would you rather have Brett Gardner or Jock Peterson? I'd rather have Brett Gardner. Okay. Yeah, Jock Peterson, not a not a good defensive player, and and was pretty mediocre offensively last year. Uh, has been always been a guy who's really just a, a very platoon, a very heavy platoon bat, and it seems like his kind of advantage against right-handed pitchers is starting to wane a little bit. And um, and uh, he was actually arguably a better uh, outfielder against uh, a better hitter against left-handed pitchers last year. So I, I think I agree with you there. Brett Gardner or Odubel Herrera. I, th- I still pick Brett Gardner there. I think Brett Gardner is still a better defender, and there's a lot to dislike about Odubel Herrera just based on some of the off-the-field stuff that's gone on there. But as a pure player, I think he's the only one that you're probably going to name that matches the Brett Gardner skill set, but I think I'd still rather have Brett Gardner for the steady hand as a fourth outfielder. Brett Gardner or Andrew McCutcheon? I don't know that Andrew McCutcheon can play center field anymore. No, he can't. Yeah, I, I love Andrew McCutcheon, but I think I still take Brett Gardner. So you're saying your bench player to be a fourth outfielder has to be able to play center field. You're not you're not going to rely on Aaron Judge and you know assuming Aaron Hicks isn't involved, Aaron Judge and Joey Gallo to be that that guy. I think Andrew McCutcheon is the only guy that you've named so far that could make me rethink that because I think Andrew McCutcheon still is a good enough player at the plate that, first of all, I think Andrew McCutcheon is going to get a starting job from somebody, but he does also really... He's hanging around at this point to try to win a championship. So he's the type of guy that... in He's the Raul Labanez type, right? A guy who can still hit, fake it in the corners defensively, and be a good ball player. I think he's one of the few guys I'd be willing to make an exception for there, but I still think I'd rather have Brett Gardner over Andrew McCutcheon next year. Brett Gardner or Tommy Pham? That's another tough one. I think just because of familiarity, I'd rather have Brett Gardner. But Pham's an interesting player. And these are the other guys who are at best part-time center fielders and, and, and aren't particularly great corner outfielders on defense. Um, yeah, I, I wonder, like, I, these are the types of the players that kind of, as I name them, I go, you know, that would be an interesting bench play. You know, if you could give, you know, if you could, uh, you know, protect Andrew McCutcheon, give him some rest, give him some DH time, and he plays the occasional outfield, interesting bench player, Tommy Pham, similar kind of situation. He's going to be 34 years old. He, again, probably is looking for a championship, um, probably wants out of that San Diego clubhouse. Uh, you know, is, an, is one of those players that I could kind of, I could kind of see – working as kind of that 90s bench the Yankees used to have. They would have a couple of you know older veterans who, who would play important roles. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, they're interesting players. Last, last player, 
Brett Gardner or Josh Harrison? Brett Gardner. Although when I looked up Josh Harrison before this uh, podcast, I was very surprised to f- realize that he was actually a really good ball player last year. He, I believe he had it. And the year before in 2022. Yeah. So he was a much better ball player than I gave him credit for the last couple of years. So the bat still plays. Uh, he had an 800 OPS with Washington last year, but the truth is I, I don't think that he definitely can't play center field he really can't play shortstop anymore i think he's more limited defensively than most people popularly give him credit for so i there's also the risk that he's 33 any year could be the year that he falls off a cliff offensively so and we did see him fall off a cliff offensively for oakland last year so uh, particularly at the end of the year. So I don't know that we can put it in the bank that uh, Josh Harrison's going to be a, a decent enough offensive player to overcome the fact that he's really not that great defensively any, anymore. His, his real defensive value lies in the fact that he can play multiple positions, and even that's waning. So I think I still take Brett Gardner. Although, so of the people you've named, I think Herrera is sort of interesting, but I really don't like the off-the-field stuff there. I think McCutcheon or Pham are both interesting, and I think there's the they're the only two guys that I would really consider over Brett Gardner. So I would love to see Harrison paired with Aaron Hicks. So Harrison is your backup infielder slash outfielder. He's a guy who played every position but first base and catcher last season. Um, you know, he's not a guy who you would ever really want to be the go-to guy in the event of an injury, but you know, can sub in all around the place and not embarrass himself offensively. He was, had an ex-Woba last year of 333 and 2020 of 339. Um, that's a, actually a pretty good hitter, mostly just because he makes a lot of contact. Um, you're right, he's old. He's not fast. I don't. I can't imagine he'd be a good defensive center fielder. He doesn't have a lot of time there anyway. Um, but, you know, as a guy who kind of hits like an empty 280, is kind of interesting to me in, in a lot of ways. I, I think he's the kind of player who is a big improvement on like Jose Peraza. And that's what, what you got to kind of think of him as, but not as a potential um, uh, a potential uh, uh, center fielder. Last question. So we've discussed a whole lot of players. I want you to guess what will be the Yankee bench on opening day, and what do you think? What would you under your you know given reasonable budget constraints? What would you like it to be? All right. So realistically, I expect the opening day bench to be Brett Gardner. I think the Yankees are going to – I think they're going to get a shortstop in one form or another, whether it's an Isaiah Kiner-Falefa or whether it's one of the big names on the free agent market or a stopgap of some kind. Something's coming at shortstop. So that pushes one of Urshela and DJ LeMayu to the bench. So one of those two will be on the bench. If I had it my way, it'd be DJ LeMayhew, just because I think he could be really versatile as a super utility guy who gets a bunch of playing time. So Brett Gardner, DJ LeMayhew, Kyle Higashioka, and I'd like to see them sign some someone who is versatile defensively, but also has some speed. That might be difficult to find at this at this point. So I could very easily see the Yankees following your advice and finding a Josh Harrison and going out and making a value signing there. I'd love to see someone like Jonathan VR, but I just don't think it's going to happen. 
So that that's pretty much what I think your Yankee bench is going to be, unless they can't find a taker for Luke Voigt, in which case I could very easily see Luke Voigt hanging around on the bench. What I'd like to see happen, I want to see Aaron Hicks, DJ LeMayhew. Um, I want to see... Uh, I'd like to see them go for a big-time signing with at shortstop, probably Trevor Story. And then I'd like to see... I'd still like to see them trade for someone like Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Plug him in at third base and have Gio Urshela on your major league bench. I think he's an ideal bench player. And then Kyle Higashioka is still your backup catcher because I don't see them improving there. And I think that... Uh, do I have four bench pieces yet? Yep. So so I, I, I think what the observation here is, is the Yankees still have extra players on this roster. And that something is going to happen. Torres could be the trade. Georgia could be trade. Could be the trade. I don't think DJ LeMahieu is likely to be the trade, but you know, you, you could imagine them freeing up some space in the roster. And I, what I think I disagree with you is, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna make DJ LeMahieu a part time player. Um, you know, the super utility still means that he sits on the default day, and that when somebody needs rest or there's a matchup, they move them in. And I just think you're paying him too much, and I think he's got too much potential given kind of what we saw during his three-year stretch. And so I think he is your starting second baseman. And the player that we have been talking about here is Glaber Torres, and I suspect he gets traded in the shortstop or center field deal. I think that that opens up that space. So the question is, is who, who your remaining infielders? That pushes Gio Urshula to third base, most likely in that scenario, unless you were to acquire a third baseman at some point. Um, but I think the player that does get pushed out down to the bench is Aaron Hicks. And so I think Aaron Hicks is your starting backup outfielder. I think you you say thanks, but no thanks to Brett Gardner. Uh, you have Kyle Higashioka, who is just fine as a starting as as a backup uh, catcher. Even if I would love to see an, uh, an improvement there. Um, and your last two spots, I think, goes to somebody like Josh Harrison that they sign. Um, and uh, and then God, I don't even know what they're going to do with that with that other that one more spot in the bench. I hope they don't go with a three man bench. But I could totally see them doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think they go out and they sign a, a lefty bat of some kind. Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, someone like that. And that's the one kind of piece we haven't been talking about here, where the, the Yankees really do need an extra lefty somewhere. Um, a lot of the kind of the veteran types we've been talking about, Andrew McCutcheon, Tommy Pham, they're righties. Um, Tommy Pham might be a switch hitter. I think I forget. I think he's a righty. Um, and, and so, like I, I just we we have the same left-handed bat problem that, that we've been talking about for a long time. That's not going to get it's not going to get improved at shortstop. All the shortstops we've talked about for the most part aren't going to solve that problem. Maybe you can find a lefty center fielder or a switch hitting center fielder, um, but like I, I just feel like we need a lefty bat somewhere, and and I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what it looks like, but someone's got to got to hit left-handed on this team. Yeah, I mean Mike Ford is a free agent. Yeah, it's true. As, <laughs> as we talked about before the podcast, he's going to look great in, in the Korean baseball organization. Um, uh, and, I, and I wish him well there. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, first base is the position that we also kind of haven't solved here in any real way. We, I think we have an idea of what's going to happen at shortstop. It's going to be one of those three guys probably. And I think we have an idea of kind of what they're thinking about in center field if, if they can make the trade. I just have no idea who the first baseman is for the Yankees next year. Um, I don't think it's a DJ LeMahieu. I don't think it's Luke Boyd. And so who the hell knows? Um, and, and maybe that's another podcast to talk about. But we're almost at an hour. God damn. So 
Andy, thank you so much for, for, for coming on the podcast. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Have a happy holidays. We'll be back in one more week for another episode of your Bronx Beat podcast. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.